Just a quick note before we start to say thanks so much for listening and a reminder that I would love to hear from you with any thoughts, comments or insights that you have about the podcast. My email is in the episode description. Also, a little note just to say that I've got a sore throat, so my voice might sound a little bit croakier than usual. Back in May of this year, the Spanish government passed legislation stating that workers on food delivery platforms should be presumed to be employees and be given access to the rights and privileges that their classification as self-employed have previously denied them. The legislation was specifically aimed at food delivery platforms who had largely been ignoring the stipulations of a previous piece of legislation, which challenged the working status of nearly 50,000 people across the country. This new legislation, known informally as the Riders' Law, sought to address this and enshrine the protection of gig workers in Spanish law. Platforms were given a three-month grace period in which to implement the changes before the law came into effect, a time period which passed on the 12th of August of this year. But to the dismay of many riders, the response of some platforms was not what they wanted or expected. The transnational food delivery platform Glovo, which originated in Spain, announced that it would look to employ less than 20% of its workforce circumventing the legislation by engaging with the remainder of its existing workforce through temporary employment agencies. I mean, it's a good trick to circumvent the legislation, but riders were not going to take this lying down. On Friday the 27th of August, Glovo riders in Barcelona went on strike, beginning nine days of industrial action. At the time of release of this podcast, this action is ongoing. I mention this case because as I was researching the strikes, as I looked at pictures, as I watched videos, read articles and interviews with workers, I was struck by the similarities which exist between how similar the strike action looked to the videos I had seen from strikes in other places like London, India and Ukraine. Even the branding of the platforms is the same, making workers look like carbon copies of each other. But the similarities don't end with the aesthetics of the strikes. The issues that people are talking about and indeed striking about are remarkably similar. These are radically different countries with unique and important histories. But gig economy platforms, in taking a model and spreading it across the globe, replicate a working environment which places a huge burden of risk onto the individual worker and which results in the same outcomes time and again. This week on the Fair Work podcast, we're not going to be hearing about the strikes in Spain, but we will be exploring the experiences of a courier working for Glovo, one based in the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv. We'll look at the gig economy in Ukraine, at how it emerged, what it looks like now and what issues workers face. This episode was co-produced with Labour Initiatives, an NGO and legal clinic based in Kyiv. And we start the episode with an interview I conducted with Svetlana Lukomovic, Communications Manager at Labour Initiatives. We jump straight in with Svetlana talking about the emergence of the gig economy in Ukraine and its historical roots in the radical changes that happened within the country 
following the collapse of the Soviet Union. Stay tuned. So, um, to start off, I would like to say that the origins of the gig economy in Ukraine um, sort of coincide with the global um, decline and erosion of the welfare state. Um, just like in the 80s, globally, uh, the welfare state uh, went into disarray and more social policies and social support became unavailable. Um, Ukraine gained its independence and actually went into a lot of perturbation and a lot of um, instability that came with that. And as a result of that, um, in inequality in Ukraine grew because with the onset of independence, and especially in the 90s, um, oligarchs and corrupt elites snatched a lot of the country's resources. Um, and this concentration of resources at the top created a lot of inequality um, that then fueled some economic crises and economic decline that we are actually trying to deal with even now. And I think that the gig economy really thrives um, where, where there is crisis and where there is inequality and where there is poverty. And I think that as globally, uh, some telework opportunities and um, work on the web became more available, it was also introduced in Ukraine. And as this inequality and joblessness that was precipitated by the usurpation of resources and power by the corrupt elites in the 90s, um, as this took place, people started looking for jobs abroad and emigrating and labor migration in Ukraine and out of Ukraine is a big issue. And so people became desperate for any kinds of jobs that they could get. And so when in the 2000s, um, those telework opportunities emerged and freelance opportunities emerged, uh, more and more people took upon them and decided to go into freelance and web-based work. And so I think that that component of the gig economy, uh, the online labor and digital labor, really goes back as far as the early 2000s. Then another aspect of how the gig economy emerged in Ukraine has actually to do with global colonialism and colonial explo exploitation of um, of Ukraine's intellectual potential. So um, in many ways, the, Ukraine's, the Ukrainian IT industry um, is um, part of the gig economy in a sense that uh, most of IT professionals, software developers in Ukraine uh, work either as freelancers or have those unstable jobs that are characteristics, characteristic for the gig economy. And why is there a colonial aspect to it? Because mostly um, local um, IT professionals are, are hired as an outsourced labor force for um, firms and companies and IT developing companies in Europe and in the United States. And it is cheaper for um, European or American companies to hire um, Ukrainian software developers for less money 
and with more instability of labor contract. But those jobs are still comparatively lucrative locally, and those jobs are still comparatively lucrative here uh, because they offer higher salary than the average Ukrainian salary, but it's still um, cheaper uh, for those outsourced firms to hire local talent. And so there are two components to this early uh, development of the economy in Ukraine, which is like one part of it is driven by um, desperation for any kinds of jobs that were available and therefore the outflow of people who um, decided to take upon digital labor and freelance labor. And then the second component of it is this colonial aspect where you know, the IT sphere kind of suddenly became this lucrative but highly gigified and highly precarious sphere with unstable labor contracts and unstable even though often lucrative salaries. The second part of this is the emergence of platform-based gig work with the establishment of many transnational platforms like Uber, Bolt and Glovo in Ukraine. And typically when people think about the gig economy they think about those apps and they think about um, this format of work. Um, but actually, as I mentioned before, um, this format of work was already present in other spheres, and it then um, became the basis of the apps um, that kind of put this format of labor relations into this new digital um, way of uh, controlling workers and surveilling workers and uh, reaping profits off of the instability and off of the precariousness of labor and the absence of labor contracts. And so um, Uber came to Ukraine, um, if I'm not mistaken, in 2016. Um, Glovo, a Spanish app-based delivery app, um, came to Ukraine in 2018. Whilst there are many other gig economy platforms in Ukraine, including local-scale copycats existing at the local and national level, is these two transnational platforms, which operate in countries across the world, that have made the most significant impact on the labour landscape within Ukraine. And so, if I am to put a date onto the um, emergence of the gig economy in Ukraine, I would say that it's uh, 2016 and 2018 especially. And in 2018, um, the emergence of those apps became so rapid that thousands of couriers and thousands of delivery workers and thousands of drivers became part of, uh, of the platforms of um, Uber and of um, Glovo and of other delivery apps. And there became this massive competition between the apps also for the um, for the attention and for the labor of the um, delivery riders, couriers, and of the cab drivers. I wonder if we could just talk a little bit more in depth about those two moments. You talk about two points. You talk about 2016, then you talk about 2018 as like really important moments within the establishment of the gig economy in Ukraine. Um, and I wonder if, to start with, we could talk about 2016 and the arrival of Uber in the capital. Um, yeah, and if you could just tell us a bit more about 
What was that like? Uh, how mainstream did it come and what did it look like in practice when Uber arrived in Kyiv? Yeah, so um, when Uber came to Ukraine in 2016, it became, it immediately became a very popular app um, amongst users and amongst potential drivers. Um, it was launched in Kyiv with great celebration. The mayor of Kyiv actually uh, commented on the arrival of Uber in Kyiv as a big achievement, as as a fact that you know this this global company uh, is entering Ukraine, which is a good thing for the economy. Um, and initially, it was a good thing in a sense that Uber provided jobs for people who were um, needy of one. Uber provided um, a source of income for those who needed one and for those who struggled to find jobs um, in Kyiv. And um, initially, especially, Uber was um, way more profitable and way more lucrative for cab drivers than um, the local taxi and cab companies and the local um, cab alternatives. Now, with time, that changed, of course. But the aspect of it that it still hasn't changed is that Uber has been a popular app among users. And um, mostly users are not aware of the conditions of work and the precarity that is part of um, working as a driver for Uber. I wonder if next we could talk about um, that moment in 2018 when Glovo arrived in the country um, and you reference this as kind of like a really important moment, almost as a kind of a spiraling effect. Um, and I wonder if, yeah, you could just expand a little bit on what that actually looked like in practice. So um, Glovo entered Ukraine in 2018 and um, initially it marketed itself as a workplace and as a company that offers great flexibility of employment where there are no bosses um, and where there is no surveillance and no control over the worker's performance. So it offered this great liberty and um, it marketed itself as a workplace where people can earn as much as they can and as much as they work essentially. So what they said is, well, you want to make more money, um, then join us and work for us and work a lot. And if you work a lot and if you try hard and if you control your own hour, hours, um, you can make a lot of money. Um, that's what Glovo said initially. And initially it was that for the couriers, for the delivery workers, delivery writers who joined the platform because Glovo in 2018 initially offered um, significant bonuses for the number of deliveries um, that were completed per week. If I'm not mistaken, um, once uh, a delivery rider completed up to 80 or 100 deliveries per week, um, there was a bonus close to 5,000 hryvnias, uh, which is, you know, around 200 bucks, which is a lot of money um, for Kyiv and for Ukraine in general. And so um, workers uh, who couldn't get more lucrative jobs in other industries could earn up to $1,000 per month, um, which was a lot of money, which is a lot of money for Kyiv uh, or any other uh, place in Ukraine. 
And so uh, Glovo entered the market by attracting uh, more and more workers into the app by offering um, this high pay. But then eventually, as more and more delivery workers joined the platform, uh, there came the pay cuts and there came the demands from the platform and lack of transparency um, about the pay and uh, the working conditions deteriorated in a sense that um, the delivery riders had to perform more deliveries for less pay in order to make the same amount of money that they used to be making. Um, and right now, in spite of those pay cuts, um, there's up to 10,000 um, workers uh, all over Ukraine working for Glovo alone. Gig workers in Ukraine face many of the issues that gig workers around the world face. Issues that largely stem from their legal classification as self-employed, the systemically low wages that many gig workers have come to face, and the transfer of risk onto the individual worker. But there are issues that gig workers in Ukraine face which are specific to the context of Ukraine. An issue that is very specific to Ukraine is the fact that the majority of, for example, couriers, the delivery riders, are um, registered as private entrepreneurs. And so they are uh, responsible also for paying taxes for the income that they make. And so instead of fulfilling their tax obligations as employers, according to the law of Ukraine, the gig companies are, play, pay, are making the workers um, pay the tax on behalf of the gig companies. And so um, this really is um, an arrangement that benefits gig companies, uh, but that really detracts from the earnings of the workers. And then the workers also carry the responsibility uh, for, for example, inspections of their private enterprise or their activities as the private entrepreneur. And so the company also um, evades any responsibility for that. Amidst the poor conditions faced by workers, a growing number of actors have begun discussing the potential for a worker-led organization to represent the interests of workers. And right now, um, there is more and more momentum among gig workers realizing that the conditions of their work are intolerable and that more uh, needs to be done about, about this. Um, there comes a point of boiling and a point of despair. And there come more talks and more discussions among the workers about the creation of some sort of an association of a, or a trade union uh, or an NGO, um, since uh, the majority of gig workers aren't classified as workers. Um, there is talk about the creation of some sort of an entity to protect their, their rights. And um, thus far, it is taking shape of a conversation online. And I wonder, within the context of the gig economy, does it feel like that conversation is happening in a productive way? Does this feel like something which people are already kind of quite well versed in? Or does it feel like it's um, something which is quite radically new for a large number of people? Ukraine has a complicated relationship with the idea of trade unionism because, um, because of its Soviet past. And so there is um, some uh, resistance to the idea of trade unionism because uh, the idea of it was used by the Soviet government to actually further their own um, 
their own exploitation and their own usurpation and their own um, extent of power um, over the people of Ukraine. And so, um, unfortunately, with the onset of Ukraine's independence, um, people were still distrustful of the word combination trade union because it was sort of like part of the old elites. But then, um, actually, um, trade unions, independent trade unions, um, became part of the emergence of Ukraine's independence, uh, especially in the mining sector. At the end of the 80s and the beginning of 90s, um, coal miners united and went on to multiple protests um, against the working conditions and against delayed wages. And they were dissatisfied with the Soviet government and with the Soviet elite and with the way that things worked in the Soviet Union. And so partly that social movement led by um, the coal miners and uh, the trade unions and the coal mining sector was crucial to the establishment of uh, trade unions, the independent, the new independent trade unions um, that became a huge part of Ukraine's civil society um, at the beginning of, of 90s and that are still part of it. And so the independent trade union movement in Ukraine just kind of cleaved itself away from this old Soviet notion of trade unions, and they became this progressive force that was actually calling for reform and that was calling for, um, you know, anti-corruption reform. And the independent unions uh, still are part of this um, and trying to shift the conversation um, away from um, you know, the exploitation and trying to support workers in their struggle for their rights. Um, and so um, I feel like uh, Ukrainians in many ways take after the tradition of independent trade unionism um, and therefore unions in the gig economy um, also uh, are following up on that tradition. But then I would say that um, young people um, and the majority of delivery workers um, are um, younger and therefore um, still have this kind of like lack of awareness of what trade unions can do as an idea and as a and as a power and as a part of civil society, um, those young workers uh, still don't even know much about the rights that they have. And so um, it is partly the job of independent unions now and of civil society organizations and of NGOs, such as labor initiatives, um, to spread the idea and spread the word about uh, the power um, that the solidarity um, ingrained in trained unions actually has uh, for the transformation of the world of work as we know it now and the power of unity in fighting for um, for labor rights and for greater fairness in Ukraine because just as uh, trade unions were crucial in changing the political landscape at the end of 80s contributing to Ukraine's independence and to the growth of um, national movements um, locally after that. Um, there is a lot of poten potential for the transformation of, um, of gig economy in Ukraine. Um, right now, 
via this power of, um, of unity and power of many voices coming together and claiming their needs and claiming uh, the vision that they, um, that they have and then entering into this conversation with gig companies, with the government and changing the discourse on this. The final thing I wanted to ask about was thinking about the specific political context of Ukraine and the ongoing kind of situation and tension between Ukraine and Russia. And I wanted to ask about kind of whether you feel like that kind of impacts upon kind of the discourse surrounding workers' rights in Ukraine. Um, I mean, from an external perspective it feels like it's so teetering on the edge so for so long um, and I just wanted to ask if you felt like there was a kind of link between the way in which discussions around worker rights in the gig economy is um, taking place and the kind of political situation at this moment in time. Ukraine's war with Russia does have an impact on the sphere of work in Ukraine in a sense that ever since um, the onset of the war between Ukraine and Russia and the economic crises um, that in ensued, there was um, higher unemployment, there was more um, erosion of security for workers. Um, there became this kind of like normalization of precarity uh, because um, Ukraine was struggling actually uh, to uh, to resist this outer threat while also uh, making sure to take care of its own economy uh, and it was just like juggling uh, many aspects and not being able to effectively take care of all of them and so the economic crisis that was precipitated by the war between Ukraine and Russia um, has uh, perhaps somewhat directly and somewhat indirectly uh, fueled um, the austerity measures that were implemented uh, by the government in Ukraine um, after uh, Russia's invasion and after the onset of the war. And so that austerity uh, became the beginning of, uh, of the fact that people started looking for jobs any jobs to make ends meet because utilities prices were increasing. There was no regulations for rent relief for those living in the big cities. Uh, people started migrating out of Ukraine in search for, for jobs to uh, European Union countries, including to Poland, Germany, and other countries. And um, those who uh, stayed in Ukraine and those who tried to uh, make ends meet here um, actually were met um, with this increase in informalization and increase of precarity uh, that was partly due to the economic crisis um, that resulted out of the, out of the war um, between Russia and Ukraine. So at the time, the government of Ukraine was dealing with this really massive external threat while also trying to reform itself as, you know, as a result of the revolution of dignity 
we've had this huge change in the government where the old elites were replaced by um, the new government and we had an election, we had new president uh, and truly um, Ukraine did the best it could under the circumstances to maintain its integrity and to defend itself against the um, external aggressor at the time, uh, but also that fight and um, that economic toll um, has really negatively impacted the sphere of work in Ukraine and has uh, has become part of this chain reaction that is now leading to um, to things like precarity and joblessness and inequality and increasing poverty um, and the prevalence of gig work. Thanks to Svetlana for taking the time to chat to me. The next section of the podcast features an interview with a gig worker based in Kiev, exploring his experiences working as a courier on the platform Glovo. This interview was undertaken in Ukrainian by Svetlana and translated into English. And for our Ukrainian listeners, the full version of this interview is available via the Labour Initiative's website. Hello, my name is Andriy, I work at Glava, a company that specializes in the delivery of anything that can fit into a backpack. This company has its origins in Spain. It grew very quickly and went global. We deliver anything, from food from restaurants, pills and medicine, we even deliver flowers. Sometimes we can up to deliver an item from an apartment, for example, a pair of shoes, and bring it to another private address. This function has nothing to do with restaurants or food. We can deliver anything to anyone, so long as, as it's under 9 kilogram and fits into a backpack. Glovo is an international gig economy platform, operating in numerous countries across the globe. Andri works as a cycle courier, navigating the city and delivering packages. He uses his income to support his wife and his child and is dependent on Glovo to pay for the everyday necessities that they rely on. When I was just getting started at the company, there was no contract, not anything. I just had to download the app, take a picture of my face, though actually I could photograph anyone. Uh, you leave the info in their database and then we were invited one-on-one -on -one to be registered as a courier. There was no contract, but uh, what they said in the ad about no bosses, well, there are bosses standing over everyone, even those who think there is none. And the rating is a short leash used to control us, and that is true. Andrew works full-time on Glovo, and like the vast majority of gig workers, he is classified as self-employed. According to various estimates, around 30% of Ukraine's labor force are self-employed. Gig companies promise workers an extent of flexibility and an opportunity to choose their own working hours. But for Andri, he describes his interaction with the app as sort of like a game that requires him to be constantly online, constantly available to get any working hours at all. Mondays and Thursdays, there's that time from 4pm approximately when the working hours open up. Each Glover, each courier has their own rating. Absolutely everything impacts the rating. 
peak delivery hours, the effectiveness of your work. And by that, they mean the green hours when you can go out and work. If you've accepted them, you've got to work through them no matter what. Then your effectiveness rating will be good. If you don't work through those hours and don't press check-in, a random fun function that pops up occasionally, if you don't press check-in, you won't be able to work. With the onset of the pandemic, couriers became essential workers and took on an increasingly important role in helping people to avoid exposure to the virus. While risking infection themselves, couriers deliver food and medicines to those that need them. During the pandemic, customers reported an increase in delivery prices during the country's frequent lockdowns. We asked Andre about whether his earnings actually grew with the increased demand for delivery and the increased fees placed upon customers. If you consider just Kyiv, then yes, it was possible to make more, but it is a double-edged sword. The remote workers kept their jobs and their ability to pay, but those who were laid off had no money. And so many in enterprises did close, restaurants, stores. The vast majority of people did not have much cash. In addition, Glovo implemented changes to the structure of payment and how couriers receive bonuses. Under the initial system, you had to complete a certain number of orders per week to get a bonus, 40, 60, 80 or 100 orders. And the bonus was paid at the end of the week. There was a convenient system where leftover cash by the end of the day was relocated toward the next day. Couriers like this system, but then they've got the bonuses. The bonuses used to be up to 5,000 grivnas per week, it's like $180 if you complete a certain number of orders. Now it's 600 grivnas per week, $22. The total pay cut was close to 75% and took away one third of the total pile of cash that we used to get not regarding bonuses. So they've cut our bonuses and they've got our pay. Apart from the risks associated with increased exposure to COVID-19, couriers face a number of dangers as they navigate the city, dodging traffic amidst a landscape of poor provisions for cyclists and a culture of disrespect and anger from motorists. I face rudeness, disrespect against couriers. The drivers here are very aggressive. They do not consider us as, as people. For example, if I'm riding via the main road, road and there is a roundabout and someone is driving their car, instead of slowing down when they see me, they'll just press the accelerator harder and speed past me within inches of my bike. But like I'm a biker and they are in a metal box with safety airbags, what kind of protection do I have? My backpack? There's all sorts of aggression on the job. People often yell insults at us. Drivers get angry at us. There was a time when I was on the main road, uh, but the right side of the road was all blocked off by parked cars and there was no bike lane. So here I am biking as close as I can to the right edge of the road. And this guy drives by me, but he can't pass me because uh, there's oncoming traffic. I bike as fast as I can, but I cannot turn right because uh, there is nowhere to turn. So this guy waits until all of the oncoming traffic is gone, drives up 
level with me, lowers the car window and starts to yell and swear at me, telling me that the road is not for the likes of me and that only cars and motorbikes have the right to use the road. Another challenge that gig workers face is atomization. They cannot negotiate with their employer or demand better working conditions. One of the issues related to gig work is the power asymmetries between worker and management. The app operates as a black box and workers are not able to understand its internal logics or the protocols that underpin how it functions. In the app itself, there is no ability to influence anything or include suggestions. Of course, you could try and voice your grievances over the customer support. I typed up a message that I kept sending them uh, through the messaging system with multiple exclamation points at the beginning and end of a sentence. I asked them to pass the info around because uh, I am not the only one who has concern. All of the customer support is chat only. You can't call them, they call you. Often we spend an hour resolving any kind of situation, but now as there have been many complaints from couriers, they've improved it a bit and they've gotten faster. They've uh, introduced customer service ratings. There are situations where you're describing a situation in detail. They are making you wait, telling you all sorts of bullshit. The information is being checked, they say. And of all the buttons and directories in the app, only one allows, allows you to talk to a real person. All the rest of the categories are chatbots. But what have I got to do with a chatbot? If I have an order I need to cancel, I get a red hour. A red hour means that I'm banned from work and I cannot appeal that easily. The bot doesn't let me do anything about that. At the very end of our interview, we asked Andrei what he wished to tell our listeners. Couriers are human beings, just like everyone else. There are human factors, and if your order is delayed, please remember that the app is looking for a rider and oftentimes uh, restaurants hold up their orders as much as 40 minutes late. Please don't be angry at couriers when the wait is long. Glovers are dope. I admire this community. Through lockdown and quarantine, we have been at really high risk for infection. And we've been delivering food and medicine to people who are ill or vulnerable. And we've been doing it quickly and efficiently while risking our own lives. Thanks to Andrew for sharing his story. At Fair Work, we believe that all work can and should be characterised by fair pay, fair conditions, fair contracts, fair management and fair representation. Platforms ultimately have the power to improve standards and the ability to choose to. Many platforms operate in numerous countries around the world. And whilst every country, every city and every worker is unique, many of the experiences and issues are shared. Platforms often operate across multiple countries and the practices which they employ have huge impacts on the lives of gig workers. And we believe platforms can and should take a proactive approach to ensure the work they provide is fair and decent. We're actively campaigning to improve the conditions for gig workers around the world and hold platforms to account. 
You can find out more at fair.work. This episode was written and produced by Robbie Waring and Svetlana Lunkovic. Our music was composed by Louis Bollet with additional composition by Robbie Waring. Andrew's English voiceover was read by Leonoid Stoikov.